You know, Jesus was in Israel when Israel escaped Egypt. Now we read about that in the New Testament. This is fascinating. First Corinthians chapter 10. That's what we're going to study today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us. It is a good day to study the Word of God. Corey and Ryan are here to help us out. Corey. Well, the Apostle Paul visited a lot of places, but we are going to focus in on one specific place where we're pretty sure he absolutely visited. We can look at its remains. Ryan? Today, the Apostle Paul helps us unravel an Old Testament mystery. All right, very good. And Janice is here to tell us what she's doing. Janice? Well, it's our end of the week wrap-up question. And I went anywhere from Romans chapter 10 all the way through to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you've got your reading done this week. Get ready for the question. All right, open up your Bible guide. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and hear what God is saying. First Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day twenty-three thousand fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples— as they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. First Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. This is really something. As we read this, we understand things about temptation. Temptation is the draw to sin that we all feel. Temptation is not a sin. Nevertheless, it's the draw to sin. The temptations we face come out of our own desires. While we just can't turn off our own desires, we also can't afford to cave in to temptation. We must focus ourselves on our spiritual lives and on the greatness of God. 
and his salvation. In this way, temptations tend to fade. Through Christ, God gives us new desires to live for him. Our spirits become truly alive when we give ourselves to follow him. Godly desires will grow in us as we keep ourselves focused on God's kingdom. God can keep us strong and close to him as we make time for him in our lives. And that's what reading his Bible is all about. As we do this, we find ourselves full of new purpose. Paul explains that we must be careful not only to stay away from sin, but also not to blame our temptations on God. God does not tempt us, nor does he try to trip us up. He will help us through. When we consider the former generations whose lives are recorded in the scriptures, we can see how they craved sin and what resulted. Well, this alone would give us the desire to avoid sin and take care of our temptation. Begin to work on that. And let me tell you something, for the last 40 years, 45 years of my life, dealing with temptation has always been a challenge. But the last 10 years of my life, God has really helped me. And I just got to tell you, it's nothing I've done. It's just that God has gotten a hold of my life and taken control. And so now I understand. And my life is so good and so much better. Because God has confined all of the experiences that I have into his level of pleasure. Very important. See, God doesn't say we can't have pleasure. He says, yes, in these contexts, you can. Very important. All right, so let's focus on this. And as we look at our temptations in the Bible, take the Bible guide and turn to the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that we're going to talk about today. The first 13 verses, it's going to be very interesting. And uh, the Bible guide takes us through the Bible, God's wonderful word. And uh, the Bible guide will be yours if you call and write to us. Uh, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page where you can download it just exactly like it's printed. And you can join us. Father, help us today. There are so many of us who easily give in to our temptations. I understand, Lord. Help us today to figure that out and help us to give your Holy Spirit control over our lives because your Holy Spirit always directs us in the right ways. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. All right, so we look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, do not, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud, and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that and the, that rock was Christ, Messiah. Now, Jesus was with Israel when they were delivered from Egypt. The Lord Jesus Christ was and is and will always be the king over all of the earth. Here is what Paul says. He is a trained Pharisee. He's a trained Jew who had the confrontation with Jesus Christ. And Christ showed him and, and, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to be a, a, a prophet and a apostle to the Gentiles. 
Paul's a Jew. I mean, this is incredible. And so he is. And he does. And here he's talking to the church at Corinth, to the Gentiles. And he says, listen, I want you to understand this, that the Jews were under the same thing, that Jesus Christ was still there. Now, the Holy Spirit came later in Acts chapter 2. But nevertheless, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10, because this gets amazing now. Watch this. But with the most or with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters, people who worship idols, as were some of them, as it is written, listen carefully, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul says, and he warns us to pay attention and to take note of things changing around us. Jesus reminds us that he is working and always has been working. Now, beloved, listen carefully. Isn't it great to be alive in this time of total chaos? I, th I think it's great. My future in Christ depends nothing on what I see in the news. Absolutely nothing. My future in Christ is exclusively Jesus Christ. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. He who has the son has life. Who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. Interesting, isn't it? Let's go on. 8 to 13, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. <laughs> no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Common. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Paul explains that temptations are not caused by God. The Lord, rather, gives us a way out of temptation if we pay attention and follow him. Beloved, listen carefully. When we begin to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm talking to Christians, and we say, okay, we're going to try to follow you, Lord, help us. And when temptation comes, and Paul said this to Timothy, he said, I want you to flee. The word means sprint away. I want you to flee temptation. Not slowly walk away with a handout. Hopefully it overtakes you. But I want you to flee temptation. If we do that, God will make sure that we are victorious out of it. Praise God. Let's keep that in mind today. 
Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. All right, well, the Apostle Paul was not unfamiliar with traveling. He traveled everywhere. He did a lot of things in his life. Sometimes he, you know, had he had enough. Sometimes he suffered and he went without. Uh, sometimes he was free and sometimes he was arrested and, and put in prison. And today we are going to be focusing in on an early part, an earlier part of his life that's recorded in the book of Acts where he was imprisoned for a time more than likely in the Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem. Take a look. The Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem is thought to have been Herod the Great's first massive building project. He would have completed it sometime before 31 BC because he named it after his friend and ally, Mark Antony, who was defeated in battle in 31 BC. After this defeat, Herod had to decisively maneuver to stay on the winning side of the world's shifting politics, and likely would not have named anything after his disgraced friend. The Antonia Fortress was built close to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and is believed to have incorporated the earlier Baris Fortress built by the Hasmonean rulers. The location of the fortress was just to the northwest of the Temple Mount, and served to protect the city from its naturally weak northern perimeter. When Herod constructed the Antonia, he had not yet expanded or rebuilt the Temple Mount, but he surely must have had at least preliminary plans. Herod built the Antonia on a natural outcropping of rock that was higher than the Temple Mount. This fortress would guard the city and the Temple Mount. It was roughly square in shape with a tower at each corner. Its southeastern tower that overlooked the temple was built 20 cubits taller than the other towers, giving a better view of the Temple Mount. According to the first century historian Josephus, the Antonia intersected Herod's renovated Temple Mount, and staircases descending from it led to the north and west covered porticos of the temple. This makes sense because when Herod renovated the temple, he extended the mountain's area to the north, west, and south, closing the gap between the original Temple Mount and the Antonia Fortress. Josephus also tells us that in the first century AD, a cohort of Roman soldiers were permanently stationed in the Antonia. Its multiple rooms, courtyards, and Roman baths would have easily facilitated them. These details are all very important to students of the Bible because they enable us to identify the Antonia as the place of Paul's Jerusalem imprisonment. Acts chapter 21 records Paul being confronted by an angry mob who were convinced that he had brought a Gentile into the temple. They dragged him out of the temple complex and began to beat him, but the noise of the crowd alerted the Roman troops who, according to Josephus, lived in the Antonia adjacent to where this mob found Paul. The Roman commander intervened and saved Paul by arresting him. And when he couldn't make sense of the mob's accusations, he ordered Paul taken to the barracks. When they reached the steps, the soldiers had to carry Paul up them, 
because the crowd was violently trying to take him back or kill him. The Roman barracks should historically be seen as the Antonia, and the biblical detail of having to go upstairs to reach them seems to verify this. There we go. Again, more to be said about Paul's life and different imprisonments as we continue on through the New Testament books that he authored. But for now, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really interesting because he authored these these letters yep. before the Gospels were truly written. Mm -hmm. And so this is fascinating. So it's kind of out of order in the construction of it. But it's really fascinating because you can see these places today. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Ephesus is, is just amazing greatest ruins in the world. Anyway, uh, Ryan, go ahead. Okay, so as a part of our study today, I'm taking a close-up look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is an interesting and important passage because Paul here helps us to discern an Old Testament episode that maybe we didn't fully understand. Remember back to Exodus chapter 17, where God instructed Moses to strike a rock in order to provide the Israelites with water? Well, Moses did that, and the rock brought forth water, just as God said it would. No issue there. But then, years later, in Numbers 20, the people are thirsty again. So this time, God instructs Moses not to strike a rock, but rather to speak to it and bring water out of it. But Moses, who is very fed up with the complaints of the people, strikes the rock out of anger. Now, for this disobedience, God denies him entry into the Promised Land and gives him an early death. Now, at first glance, this might seem to be a really harsh punishment, and it causes us to wonder what it was that Moses did that was so wrong. Well, Paul gives us a clue. Exodus chapter 17 records the complainings of the wilderness-wandering Israelites. In this particular episode, the people complained to Moses because there is no water to drink. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, it would be many years later that Moses and the Israelites would return to Meribah and again be in need of water. However, this time, rather than God commanding Moses to strike the rock for water, he commands him to simply speak to it. However, Moses, in his anger and frustration, instead strikes the rock not once but twice. Though the water does come, Moses, in his disobedience, misrepresents God here. As punishment, God denies Moses' entry into the Promised Land and gives him an early death. Many have marveled over this account, wondering what it was Moses did that was so deserving of this punishment. The answer to this mystery is found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 10, verse 4, the Apostle Paul reveals that the rock represented Jesus Christ. So there were two episodes with the rock. In the first one, the rock was smitten and they benefited with living water. The second rock was not supposed to be smitten. If Moses had done what God told him, these rock incidents would have modeled the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. So when Moses struck the rock on the second occasion, he ruined the model. Though Moses would not enter the Promised Land, as one Bible scholar points out, God was by no means finished with him. He is seen again on the Mount of Transfiguration 
with Jesus talking about the second coming. And some believe that he is one of the two witnesses spoken of in Revelation chapter 11. You know, this is a good example of why we need to study both the Old and New Testaments. Because here, for example, if you don't know the passage in the Old Testament that Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 10, then you won't really completely understand what Paul is saying. Similarly, if you don't know this New Testament passage, then you probably won't completely understand the significance of Moses' error at Kadesh either. But when both testaments or covenants are studied, we realize that the two rocks represented Jesus Christ. The first rock represented his first coming where he was smitten and bruised for our iniquities. And the second rock was supposed to represent Jesus' second coming. But Moses in his anger spoiled the image by striking the rock again. Very unfortunate. This is absolutely fascinating because there, this, this image, and there are many images like this, of what's going to happen and what did happen. And the idea of Jesus Christ when Moses is, is to speak to the rock so the rock can come and heal, mm -hmm. God was explaining to all of the people and to Moses, this is what's going to happen. And Moses just ignored that because he was so ticked off at the people. It reminds yeah. me of that verse, the wrath of man does yeah. not produce the righteousness of God. And I wonder how many times I in my own wrath, have, have twisted something that God wanted to, to show. Yeah. Uh, and, and listen, I, I get it. With Moses, like, I get mm -hmm. it. He was at the end of his line, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he had been with the people all these years, and they were complaining and, and all of that. So I, I, I get it, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. And, and with, with the, the complaining, it was like, you know, he, he let the complaining get to him. And with the complaining, he had it. That's it. These people were never going to. And that's, that's exactly what God says. This is the time, Moses, when you need to do exactly what I say and lean on, on what God is teaching you and showing you. That's the importance of this program. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to communicate the word of God so the people, you, can understand it. We can understand it because now more than ever, the Bible is relevant. It's actually relevant now more than it was thousands of years ago. And I want to say that very emphatically. I just want to tell you that because we, we have to understand the Bible. We have to listen to what it says. That's very important. It's, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's so much bigger than, than all of us. Absolutely. And the love and the mercy of God. We see Moses showing up with Christ. Yeah. And Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. God didn't just say, well, you're done. Mm -hmm. You know? Like we would have done. God, mm -hmm. God's mercy is immeasurable. And, you know, that's what we've got to learn. Mm -hmm. And as we learn that next year, what we're going to do, we're, we're less than a month and a half away from the end of the year. We're going to start again, by uh, doing the Bible guide for the whole year. I'm looking forward to it. We've yeah. already written yeah. a portion of it. New material, new material. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I just wanted to say too, with what you guys were talking about with, with Moses's anger too, it, it reminded me too, there's a lot of people who misinterpret Christianity and think that Christianity is about suppressing yourself, mm -hmm. suppressing your true emotions and suppressing what's really going on, when in actuality, it's the opposite. 
right? God wants, we can't hide anything from God anyway. The problem was that Moses acted on his anger rather than acting on behalf of God, mm -hmm. right? Which was his role. That was his official role. Yeah, because so he was a leader. The problem was yeah. not yes. in that Moses had anger. Yes. It was that he Good had point. acted out in right. anger. So mm -hmm. the same goes with us today where, where we have to be so careful not to act out of things like anger. Yes. We can have anger, but we need mm -hmm. to be honest with God about that and with other people about that in a way that disarms our own anger. Because we all know <laughs> experientially that when we act out of things like anger or jealousy or, or things like that, Bad, mm. bad things bad come things. out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Bad things and, come and, out of that, not good. And we see righteous anger with, with Paul uh, yes. being angry at the demoniac, right? Yes. That's a righteous anger. Yes. Right? Yes, so he wasn't using it to like destroy her, but rather mm -hmm. to free her that's right. from the yeah. demon's control. So there's a righteous anger, and then there's an anger that's human. Yeah. And that's... that's. And it's not about suppressing that. That's it's right. about dealing with that right. and then not allowing yourself to be controlled by that's these right. things. That's mm right. -hmm. We have a minute, 20 Good seconds left. Word. No, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we added on to that because people could have misunderstood what I said in that. So that's good. All right. From whose household did news reach Paul that they were arguing that some were saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ? Whose household did this news come from to Paul? Was it from question. Aquila's household? It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Was it from Aquila's household, Chloe's household, or Stephanus's household? Whose household did this news reach Paul that they were arguing? Was it Aquila's household, Chloe's household, or Stephanus's household? Okay. You guys, are, I'm not going to lie. We had to put our heads together we were, for this yeah, one. We were, we were uh, working on that one. <laughs> yeah. And again, thank you for those multiple choices. Yeah, yeah that's that right. helpful for us. <laughs> we, we have decided we're going to go with Chloe. Yes. With Chloe? All Absolutely. Right. Well, let's listen to the verse of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of... Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Pay attention right. to the details. Very, very good. Stephanus's household got saved. That's right. Remember? Yes, I do. Very, very good. good. All right, let's continue to study the Bible. I do want to pray for all the partners of this ministry. Uh, this ministry survives because people have given. I call somebody a partner who gives to this ministry. So I want to thank you, but it's important that we pray for you. Father, I pray in this time that's very tumultuous and changing and doing all kinds of things. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to stay faithful to you. And Lord, bless them and keep them safe, Lord, in your perfect will. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen.